We've been fighting cancer for almost 50 years without real success. Could molecular targeted drugs finally be the answer? You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, attorney and Dr. Bruce Bloom, president and chief science officer of Partnership for Cures, a nonprofit that drives cures to patients through repurposing current therapies for new uses. And my guest is Dr. Jeff Settleman, Director, Center for Molecular Therapeutics, Professor of Medicine, Massachusetts General Hospital Cancer Center in Boston, Massachusetts. Dr. Settleman and I are discussing the who, what, where, when, why, and how of molecular targeted therapeutics. Dr. Settleman, welcome to ReachMD. Thanks for having me here. So what's the problem with conventional cancer drugs? Well, what we've learned from our experience with a lot of the standard chemotherapy drugs that have been in use for many years is that they really have limited efficacy, especially in cancers uh, in an advanced stage of development. And even when they do work, uh, they exhibit limited activity for short periods of time in most cases, and they're associated with substantial toxicity um, and, of course, thereby reducing quality of life overall for patients. So there's certainly room for improvement. So how come we can't overcome this problem with cancer drugs with a cocktail of conventional cancer drugs? Well, as you know, that most of the standard chemotherapy drugs are actually quite toxic. And if we start using them in combinations, we just add to that toxicity and make matters worse. And so we really can't tolerate combinations that include more than just a couple of these agents at a time. So what's the new trend in cancer drugs? Are we just finding better poisons or are we looking at something else? Well, I think the new trend has really arisen out of really 20-plus years of molecular studies that have revealed essentially the wiring of a tumor cell. Uh, We've learned about the identity of oncogenes and their encoded proteins and the organization of the signaling pathways that they mediate that control how cells proliferate, differentiate, and determine their survival. And so with that knowledge, we've identified proteins that can be exploited as potential therapeutic targets through the use of essentially smart drugs. So if we identify good targets, we can then develop agents that specifically interfere with those pathways that are driving cancer. And you mentioned the term smart drugs. When I talked about molecular therapeutics or molecular targeted drugs, are we talking about the same thing? We really are. And and in fact, some of these drugs have been around for a while. Uh, At some level, we can consider all the drugs that we use in in cancer treatment to be targeted uh, in the sense that things like cisplatin and taxol do have targets within the cell. But what we're really thinking about now is agents that target pathways in a rational way, that target specific proteins that are components of signaling pathways that determine uh, the viability of tumor cells. So smart drugs, targeted drugs, we're really talking about the same thing. But I think when we talk about the new era in treatment, uh, we're talking about, in a sense, rationally targeted drugs that make use of our recently acquired understanding of how a tumor cell is wired. So why are we so excited about this route of cancer drugs? Well, there's been some success so far, and this is early days still, but we've heard about successes with things like Herceptin in in treating uh, a subset of breast cancers with HER2 gene amplification. We all know about the experiences with Gleevec and its ability to induce uh, essentially long-lived remissions, uh, relatively long-lived remissions in several disease settings, uh, CML in particular. 
recent successes of drugs like Tarceva that target the EGF receptor in a small sub subset of uh, non-small cell lung cancers and inducing dramatic remissions. So we're talking about single agents that can be used in some cases in orally active delivery form, and we're seeing dramatic remissions uh, with these single agents with relatively minimal toxicity. And so this is in striking contrast to the experience uh, with conventional chemotherapy drugs. So how do we design these kinds of smart drugs? Tell us some of the stories, the success stories in a more detailed level so we understand how we might design new ones. I think that if we look at the history of some of the success stories we have so far, they've arisen out of a few different schemes. But one thing that's been in common to each of them is that we're targeting kinases in many cases. And kinases have turned out to be relatively good targets for the development of selective inhibitors. This was initially quite surprising. There were a lot of skeptics in the pharmaceutical industry who thought that kinases would be difficult uh, to target chemically. But it turns out they can be targeted with inhibitors that uh, essentially block ATP binding in some cases and, and exhibit some real selectivity for specific kinases. There are more than 500 kinases encoded by the genome, and so there's really all kinds of possibilities for developing selective inhibitors. But typically the way this happens is that a target needs to be identified initially as being a potential candidate for drug development. That needs to be validated in some kind of preclinical model system. And then the process of developing uh, selective drugs begins. And that uh, we've learned a lot over the last several years from the experience of biotech and pharmaceutical uh, industry studies to uh, in terms of developing good strategies for designing new inhibitors, optimizing inhibitors, uh, and making them more selective. And so really there are a lot of tools in place and a lot of experience on the table uh, from the last few years of effort that are really going to drive this process along. So there's quite a focus uh, in the industry now in developing even more kinase inhibitors and finding new targets. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I am your host, Dr. Bruce Bloom, and I'm speaking with Dr. Jeff Settleman of the Massachusetts General Hospital Cancer Center about molecular-targeted therapeutics. So why did we think kinases might be difficult targets in the first place? Well, kinases have in common the property that they bind ATP, and because of that, uh, they all look a little bit like each other when you look structurally at their catalytic pocket. They assume a shape that's uh, conducive to ATP binding and catalysis, uh, transfer of phosphate from ATP onto other proteins. And so they have a lot of common elements, and it was thought that it would be impossible to, one, to find selective inhibitors that could engage the pocket in different kinases in different ways, but also because their affinity for ATP is so high and the cellular concentrations of ATP are so high that it would be hard to overcome that binding to ATP. But it turned out that this was not necessarily the case, at least for most kinases, and, and it was possible to find uh, inhibitors just through screening high-throughput libraries of compounds, thousands of compounds. Uh, it was possible to find some that exhibit selective uh, high-affinity binding to uh, these kinases, even at nanomolar concentrations. And when you did this screening of the library, are there some drugs that are already out on the market, even some that might be in their generic form that are already selective kinase inhibitors? Yeah, a number of the FDA-approved agents, for example, Tarceva and, and Gleevec, 
These are selective kinase inhibitors with very potent activity against the targeted kinases. And one of the interesting aspects of some of the inhibitors that are out there, the ones being developed, is that they're not all monospecific. That is, they don't necessarily target a single kinase. Levac is one of the best examples of this. It can inhibit not only the BCR-ABLE kinase that uh, is translocated in, in CML, but it also targets the PDGF receptor and the CKIT tyrosine kinases, uh, which play a role, for example, in uh, gastrointestinal stromal tumors, and, and that's why Gleevec has activity there. So you can see examples where these inhibitors, even though they lack complete selectivity and specificity, they still can have activity. And in fact, because they're uh, able to hit more than one kinase, they may have activity in multiple disease settings where different kinases play uh, important roles. Would we ever think of having a multiple kinase cocktail as a therapeutic? Sure. A multiple uh, kinase inhibitor cocktail is, is certainly conceivable. I think, again, you have the issue of dealing with uh, potentially overlapping toxicities for some of these inhibitors, uh, even though the toxicities seem to be uh, significantly lower for a lot of these kinase inhibitors than they are for some of the uh, conventional toxic chemotherapy drugs. There are some side effects, and as we start adding uh, agents to a cocktail, we may find that toxicity increases to a point where it's not tolerated anymore. So your average normal cell has lots of kinase pathways. How do we keep those cells from getting damaged during these kinds of treatments? Right. Well, that's an important issue. And of course, we're looking, as always, in, in the realm of cancer treatment for a, a window of opportunity, a therapeutic window in which we can selectively discriminate between the tumor cell and the normal cell. And what we've come to understand is that tumor cells often exhibit a, uh, an interesting dependency, or it's been described as an oncogene addiction state, wherein they become heavily reliant on some of these activated oncogenes. In many cases, these are kinases. And so we think that this contributes to a, a therapeutic opportunity wherein the tumor cell, uh, for reasons that aren't entirely understood, exhibits this uh, addicted state to a kinase uh, and allows it to become much more sensitive to the toxic effects of uh, targeting that pathway. So you're saying in conventional cancer care, the cancer cells seem to have multiple pathways to avoid the poison where the normal cells don't, but in this situation, it might be the reverse. Normal cells are not as dependent on these kinase pathways as the cancer cells, and so the kinase treatments actually work better on cancer cells? Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. I, I think what we're learning about the cancer cell is that while it's gone to great lengths to proliferate rapidly and to avoid apoptotic cell death, uh, it's probably done that at some cost that's made it more vulnerable, and we know that a lot of tumors exhibit a high proportion of cells in an apoptotic state, suggesting that tumor cells may be poised on the threshold of a, of a cell death outcome, and that this, uh, again, contributes to a therapeutic opportunity where uh, these cells can be exploited by virtue of their um, susceptibility to uh, apoptotic cell death. So if we wouldn't do a multiple kinase cocktail, what might you hook kinases with to really have a more effective overall cancer cure? Well, I think that what we need to do is really improve our understanding of which tumors expressing which kinases lead to the most vulnerable state and to selectively target those. 
I think there are a number of good inhibitors out there, but we just don't know where we should be using them. And so I think for the moment, at least, our best opportunity to improve outcomes right now is to essentially personalize uh, cancer treatment by identifying the molecular features of an individual's tumor that render them susceptible to a specific drug. And I think that's probably the next level where we can take this kind of approach to see better treatment successes. New cancer drugs are on the drawing board and in the test labs all over the world. One promising category is molecular targeted therapeutics. I want to thank my guest, Dr. Jeff Settleman, for helping us to understand why these therapies might be the cure for cancer. I am attorney and Dr. Bruce Bloom, President and Chief Science Officer of Partnership for Cures. You have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your emails to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.